Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ship's Registry, Bahamas. So we caught up. And Huddleston, oh! What an incredible goal! Tom Huddleston, with only his second Premier League goal in the last two years. Massive goal, tremendous strike. And now Huddleston, oh that's beautiful! A sensational strike by Tom Huddleston. He's over it, he's set himself. And Nicky Weaver has no chance with that. I was expecting him to take a touch there. Oh. Ah. Right from Astro Cotto, up gets Crouch, out by Fabregas. Huddleston! Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're all keeping well. We hope you're all keeping safe as we continue to battle and to fight COVID-19. Now, if you've been listening to these shows in the last month or two, we've had the pleasure of being joined by a lot of former Spurs players. And I want to say, this is a bit of a bold statement to make, but I don't think they get any bigger than the player that we've got on this show tonight. But before we unveil who we've got, I'm delighted to have back alongside me I've got Jamie back from the Daily Hotspur. Jay, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. I hope uh, all the listeners are staying well and, uh, yeah, very excited for tonight's show. Yes, very, very excited for this one. Now, we're delighted to bring you a former Spurs player, a midfielder that played for us in many, many big games. Of course, for me, I told him beforehand, I labelled him the, the English Perlo off air. His passing ability was Hoddle-like-esque. He's been, obviously, such a player during the periods of that millennium that we adored. We love to watch him on a weekly basis. So, pleased to welcome to The Last Word on Spurs, Tom Huddleston joins us. Tom, how are you and how's the family? Yeah, everything's good this end, obviously. Trying to stay safe and well, uh, like hopefully everybody worldwide is. But, yeah, we're all good this end. Thank you. Good, good. Tom, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know, Jay, also for you. 
Tom was a big player during your period of growing up as a Tottenham fan. Yeah, absolutely. And um, of course, I think he, he was part of that um, first year in the Champions League. He's the only player that I've seen Spurs uh, lift a trophy for Spurs. So, um, you know, part of the team in 2008. So, uh, yeah, some, some very good memories. I'm looking forward to, to reliving today. Tom, let's start. You was born the 28th of December 1986 in Nottingham. You were signed by your hometown club, Nottingham Forest, at a young age. But you were released at Forest 12 years old as it was claimed that you was not strong enough. Tell us, how disappointing was that moment for you? And did that inspire you to go on to have the career in football you've had? I think looking back as a slightly older person now, I think it probably did inspire me. Whereas at the time, obviously, it was total devastation, to be honest. Uh, being at Forest from eight years of age, a lot of my family are Forest fans. Um, I'd had four what I would have classed as successful years there. Um, and I think the too strong line, oh, not sorry, not strong enough line, is just because they have to give an official line to the FA on why they're not extending um, schoolboy contracts. Even though I was probably about, I must have been pushing six form when I was 12, so I think that was a bit of a cop-out. But um, yeah, three years later, I was on the bench for Derby's first team while still being at school. So it, it worked out quite well in the end. Now, Tommy, of course, you mentioned you played for Derby. You signed for Derby. Um, you made your debut reserve side at 15. And then at 16, you debuted for the first team. What is it like starting at such a young age? And, and how has that impacted your career starting so early? It's an awkward one to answer that because, because it's all I've known on an individual level. Um, we had a... Academy director and Terry Wesley, who was quite, first of all, demanding of the players, but equally happy to knock on John Gregory's door um, and say, I've got myself, Nathan Doyle, Lee Holmes, who's still playing at Exeter, um, and Dan Martin. He's like, I've got these four lads, even though they're 15, I think you should be having a look at them, uh, which in turn got us a few games in the reserves playing. And back then, it was reserve team football was sort of proper men's football, whereas now it's the under 23s and it's a bit um, lighthearted and played at training grounds. Whereas back then, it was proper matches. You might get three or four thousand um, every Tuesday. And if you wasn't involved with the first team on a Saturday, as long as the first team didn't have a midweek game, you was 100% playing for the reserves during the week. So there's a lot of good players on show. So for the manager to put us in and have faith in us at such a young age and for us to hold our own was just pleasing at that age, to be honest. You represented England at under-16, under-17, under-19, under-20s under before making your under-21 debut in 2005. Tell us what that feeling was like for you at the time and give us a flavour of who the players were that you were playing with during those spells. Yeah, that was a dream come true, to be honest. I've been, as you say, from under-16s, which is, was the Victory Shield squad, um, which even then, if you look at our, I've looked at some older photographs recently from that. Obviously, it's the home nation. So from them, sort of three games that we played, uh, there was like myself, Aaron Lennon, uh, James Milner, Stephen Taylor, uh, Luke Moore, Grant Ledbetter. Um, there's a few more. Could, they're slipping my mind. Um, <laughs> it was a good, a good squad even at like under-16s that have gone on to have decent careers. Um, 
But yeah, playing in the under twenty ones was on one hand was frustrating, only down to the fact that I played possibly sixty or seventy first team games for Derby in the championship um, and was doing well, but didn't get anywhere near the under twenty ones for whatever reason. And then I signed the contract with Tottenham in the January, ready for the following summer. And then miraculously, overnight, when the squad was announced in February, I managed to get in the under-21 squad. Um, but yeah, the squad at the time, we had... I think, trying to think of the goal. I think we had like, Scotty Carson in goal, uh, Lee Camp, who I was at Derby with at the time. Um, you had... Glenn Johnson, uh, Anton Ferdinand, uh, Michael Dawson, uh, Leighton Baines, uh, myself, Nigel Riacocca, David Bentley, uh, Routledge, Milner. Um, I think the strikers were like Dean Ashton, Carlton Cole, Darren Bent, Nugent. Um, Gary O'Neill was a, a prominent figure in the squads. Kieran Richardson. Um, so yeah, it was a. If you, without sounding too disrespectful, if you look at the under twenty ones uh, nowadays, the past two or three years, sometimes it's like unknown players who have maybe played sort of a dozen first team games. Whereas then it was, even though it was under twenty ones and we're of a young age, it was a lot of players that were playing regular in the Premier League or had a lot of appearances under their belt in the championship. So between 2005 and 2009, you ended up making 33 appearances for the under-21s, um, and then you debuted for the national the, the first team in 2009. Given that you made so many appearances for the under-21s, were you a bit disappointed that you didn't get more uh, opportunities with the, the senior team? A little bit, but I think up until that stage, I reckon in them sort of three or four years, it was never until sort of Harry came in, I don't think there was a spell where I was one of the first names on the team sheet at Tottenham, even if I played quite a few games throughout a season, especially the positions we were finishing. I don't think I would have warranted being in an England squad, especially with the players um, England had at the time. With you, I'm not, I'm not sure if Scholes was still playing, but you definitely had Gerard, Lampard, Carrick, um, Obviously, them three were getting to the semi-finals and finals of Champions Leagues between them for year on year, probably seven or eight years. Um, coincide that with JJ was a lot more senior than me. Uh, Scotty Parker was doing well at even Newcastle or West Ham. Uh, Gareth Barry as well. So there was a lot of good central midfielders for the England managers to pick throughout the times. And as I say, with myself, for the first few years, probably not nailing down 100% one of the first names on the team sheet I think it would have been difficult for a manager to to put me in in and around especially ahead of them them players I've just spoke about bringing it back to the championship with Derby you made 88 championship appearances for Derby and then 13 for Wolves on loan as you mentioned before joining Tottenham Um, out of interest Tom do you know how Spurs spotted you and how does playing that second tier of football being the championship prepare you for Premier League football I don't know how Tottenham spotted me, actually. I guess, um, I don't know, just obviously playing the younger ages at England. I know at the time Tottenham had a, a slightly different philosophy to a lot of other clubs and they were buying 
younger British players um, with a, obviously a chance to do well. And if, if they didn't well uh, do too well, they would still make a decent profit on the players. Um, but yeah, I think the championship is it's just relentless. You play in 46 games a season and it is a cliche, but literally everybody can be everybody. Um, so I think that, especially for myself at a young age, going in, obviously just before that, as a schoolboy, you're just enjoying your football. Obviously you want to win. But once you step up to men's football, it's a case of sort of you have to win. There's people's livelihoods and managers' jobs and things on, on the line. Um, so I think that, especially the franticness, especially then, of the championship, uh, put me in good stead going down to Tottenham where it was Premier League's obviously more technical and a bit more thinking and teams are a lot more intelligent uh, whereas the championship's like 100 mile an hour. So I think if you can sort of survive in the championship and have your technical qualities, I think it, it could potentially be an easy, easier transition than going the other way. So you signed for Tottenham in January 2005. You then spent the rest of the season on loan at Derby um, before spending half the season, the following season, on loan at Wolves. Do you feel at the time, uh, when you were aged 18, when you signed for Spurs, do you, did you feel that you were kind of ready for the Premier League? Was that a, a move that you were ready to make? It did, to be honest. There was there was a few clubs interested. Um, a lot of them, obviously, they, I don't think the January window had been open that long, but a few of the clubs were wanting experience initially and then said they might sort of revisit in the summer. Obviously, once a club like Tottenham comes in, and at the time, my view was you had your top four on paper and then after that, you probably had your Tottenham, Everton, Newcastle and then everybody else in the Premier League. So it's one of them where being 18, you might that opportunity might never come around again um, and I did obviously I signed in the January then back into that season a lot of it I was playing centre back at Derby um, and we finished fourth in the league so we'd had a good season um, and without sounding rude to him because I, I still speak to him regular and have a laugh with him um, I had seen Michael Dawson sign for Spurs in the same January window but he, he went straight down there um, and he got in the team straight away, I think. So my thinking the rest of that season and the off-season was we've sort of played the same position. I've we finished miles above Forrest. Um, I've played every game and he's gone straight in the team and done well. So obviously I was chopping and changing midfield and centre-back, but... I was not seeing any reason why I couldn't sort of go and do the same with a good pre-season under my belt. Now, Tom, you eventually made your Spurs debut as a substitute in a 1-0 defeat away at Fulham on the 31st of January 2006. And that was after returning from a half-spell loan at Wolves, as we mentioned. Um, did you believe, given that was your debut at the time, that that would actually be the start of an eight-year stint and the first of 209 appearances for Spurs at the time? I didn't even think anything of it. Like longer term. Can you remember what month that was? That must have been 
towards the back end of the season, was it? You, Maybe so, April so or it was, March. So it was it was it was the it was the thirty first of January two thousand six, which is which was your debut. That's the game that we oh, that right. was your, your first game. That was your first game and. Typically, I mean, Tom, you're not the only one at that time. Players that came in on their debut, normally it was a defeat. That, that was the kind of thing that happened with Tottenham. We, we gave the early debuts <laughs> and they would normally start with a defeat. But do you remember anything from that game at all? Because Fulham, during those days, notorious. It was quite a tough place to go, Craven Cottage. Can you remember anything on your debut? How was you nervous in that in the build-up to that game? I remember too much about that game. I weren't nervous because <laughs> it, I was just like keen and eager to get my debut out of the way having been there for sort of six months um, but I do remember coming on at nil-nil and giving the free kick away that they scored from <laughs> um, alright Tom we don't want it against you remember, no, no, yeah. no, no we're, we forgive you Tom it's alright no, I got a bad a bad dead leg off I think Bamorte and then they crossed <laughs> the ball and scored from it and to be fair whether it's from that or what but whenever I played B&M always seemed to have a bit of to do every time we played each other after that, whether for Fulham or when he was at West Ham or whatever, they seemed to hold a grudge against each other for some reason. <laughs> so the, the man who gave you your debut, the manager at the time, was Martin Yole. Um, I think he's a manager that many Spurs fans will remember very fondly. Um, how did you find playing under Martin as a manager? I thought Martin was good. Um, obviously, he was a manager in charge when I signed, but I think a lot of the transfer dealings were done by Frank Arneson, um, which again was a bit strange. So I think I'd spoke to Frank in the January. He had signed me. Uh, and then by the time I actually got to the club in the June or July, Frank had decided to leave and go to Chelsea. So that was a bit strange. Um, my first few months were a bit... I found them difficult, to be fair. The, the loan move to Wolves came at the right time because I'd had two full seasons at Derby um, literally, I think I missed two games through suspension and one game sort of rested before the playoffs. Um, so I was played virtually every game for two years. And then to go down to Tottenham, obviously, I didn't expect to do the same there, but there were some days that I wasn't even training with the first team uh, for the first however long. I wasn't in the first team changing room. Just getting my head around all of that stuff as a young lad, sort of 200 miles away from home, living by yourself in London for the first time, um, I did find it all quite difficult to start with. So I think the the low move to Wolves was ideal. Um, there are big senior players there that were very helpful in my development. Um, and then to come back, Martin was always, always good with me, to be fair. He was quite open and honest and sp- spoke to the lads well. Um, there was some they weren't even senior to be fair because I was probably only early to mid-twenties but like obviously Keno and Ledley they had a good sort of running off the club um, and all the lads looked up to them type of guys so it was a, a good environment to work in and I think Martin complimented that very well out of interest, you mentioned Frank Arneson there and in terms of the transfers and that, that communication and obviously then how he left for Chelsea with Yol, did you get there? You had a quite a good relationship because from the outside at the time, from what I can remember, those two got on very, very well and it was quite a surprise when Chelsea did call Arneson that he actually went there. Can you remember anything about their their relationship at all? I don't actually think they were together when I eventually got down there. Um, as I say, I signed in January and I think Frank had already agreed 
or just after the season had finished, he had agreed to go to Chelsea. So I've never actually seen what their relationship was like as a, a tandem type of type of thing. So Tom, your first start for, for Tottenham came on the 14th of September 2006. Um, it was an away match against Slavia Prague in the UEFA Cup. Um, how much of that um, game do you remember? I remember that strange coloured brown kit that we had on. Um, <laughs> that, was think... a lo- that was a nice kit, Tom. Do you not like it? No, I didn't mind it, to be fair. Oh, OK. Uh, that's, that's quite a vintage I, collection, I Tom. Yeah, I've still got a... I think there's a picture at my... Did you wear it in the pre-season against Inter Milan before think, that year as well? I think we did, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, yeah very popular um, kit. Yeah, so I think... I think it was me and Edgar, actually, that did we start together. So that was a big thing in itself uh, for an 18, 19-year-old to play with someone like that that they'd watched for... 10 years growing up um, I don't remember the result either 1-1 or 2-1 to Tottenham I'll go for but I can't remember that I just remember thinking try and cement yourself in the team and give yourself a chance to be playing at the weekend in the league um, that was the mindset with my first few games to be honest it's a big game for us Tom that one that Slavia Pro one because you know we've been out of Europe for so long it was, I, mean, I don't know if you remember Jermaine Genius it was Channel 5 at the time uh, he scored that, that vital vital goal for us very big goal for Spurs bearing in mind that was like okay come back to Europe but your first goals for Spurs they came in the League Cup fourth round match against Port Vale on the 8th of November 2006 you actually scored twice in that match your second goal proving decisive because the game went into extra time and that took Spurs through to the quarter-final of the competition. Can you remember that title and what it was like to score your first goals for the club? We put out quite a young team. Um, I think there was myself, Dorian David, maybe did Phil Eiffel play? Um, and a few more. But I remember the Dorian tried to nick my... Well, it was a cross, but it went straight in. But he tried to nick it and say that he headed it, which he didn't after looking back at it. Um <laughs> And then the next one, I think, um, yeah, I, remember, I think Berbatov laid it off and I just smashed it. And for someone who had played 90-odd games for Derby and never scored, um, to get two in one match was <laughs> a bit surreal, to be honest. The next goal you scored for the club was in the league. It was a, a very memorable strike. It was a goal, actually, I was watching today uh, on December 17th, 2006 against Manchester City. Um, it was a wonderful like half volley. Um, you also got the assist in that game. I mean, what was that? Was that? Do you, would you rate that? How would you rate that in terms of your best goals in your career? Would you? How far up there would you say it is? It's definitely like top two or three. <laughs> I think for um, technical difficulties, probably uh, one or two to be honest. But I've said this a few times. It was it was quite strange that. Um, I think I actually won the ball on the edge of the box and then we built up through the thirds and when it went out to Garley on the right as I was coming forward he like, flipped it in to the middle of the pitch kind of thing and as I was jogging forward I remember looking up and there was Richard Dunn and uh, Micah Richards and I was thinking if I take a touch here one of these two brick walls are going to clean me out so <laughs> just have a shot and because you're naturally going to get power on it, just try and hit the target and thankfully it flew past the goalkeeper. But when I've when I have watched it back, the two centre-backs are 
further away than I imagined. It felt like they were right on top of me. And if I'd taken a touch, then one of them would have cleaned me out, which was the main reason for shooting first time. Tell me, I think you're being too polite there. You, 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 <laughs> I think you're being too polite. It was such, it was such a great goal. And at that time, Tom, you was really establishing yourself as one of the most promising young English central midfielders in the Premier League. And towards the end of that 2006-2007 season, Martin Yole compared you with the German legend Franz Beckenbauer due to your playmaking abilities, that ferocious shot power and versatility. And he also believed that you was going to be the worthy successor to Michael Carrick, who, of course, we lost to Manchester United. How did you react to that sort of praise as a player? And was it a pressure for you to perform? Or was it more confidence that the manager really had in you during that time? I think it was more confidence. Um, as I say, my first season was quite tough mentally and even a little bit off the pitch, I guess. Um, but yeah, coming towards the back end of my first season, uh, Martin was saying it was quite likely that um, Carrick would be leaving to go to Man United. Um, so there's, even though they probably would be bringing a midfielder in, which turned out to be Didier Zakora. Um He's like you and Michael are similar types of players, so there's no reason why you can't step in and and do what he's done. So I I had known his thoughts on me and that position and that type of play um, for probably half a year, a year before he'd actually mentioned it in the press, to be honest. But obviously the Franz Beckenbauer comparison, I think that was... Before I'd signed, he'd seen me play probably 60% of my games for Derby were at centre-back and 40% were in midfield. So if he had, the scouts had reported back to him, it was probably as more of a centre-back, to be honest, which is probably where that comparison come from. And I know he had flirted with the idea of me playing as sort of a sweeper in the middle of two centre-backs, stepping in as the older midfielder, but equally stepping back sometimes and making it sort of a back three. Um, I don't think they ever fully got round to doing it, but I think that's where that comparison comes from, for sure. In 2006, on, on Bonfire Night, Spurs had a very memorable win uh, over Chelsea. It was our first win over Chelsea in a very long time. Uh, funnily enough, uh, Jose Mourinho was the manager for Chelsea at the, at the time. Um, do you, How much of that game do you remember? And what was it like for Spurs to finally beat uh, a top four side? I remember yeah, warming, warming up as Aaron scored the goal. Um, and even though I'd only been there a year and a half or so, it was such a relief because everything had been, a lot had been made about Tottenham having been Ch- Chelsea in X amount of years or whatever. And it was like, I know they're a good team, but <laughs> it can't keep going on and on kind of thing. So uh, just. Remember the excitement, obviously, that's the Chelsea team's one of the all-time great Premier League teams, to be fair to them. Um, but we had an exciting young team at the time, and I think the, the result was justified. And a close friend of mine, Aaron, thankfully, he got the winner. Do you remember, Tom, at the time, just I know you didn't play in that game, but was there almost a a pressure on Spurs under Yo at that time to beat a top four club? Because Spurs, as we know at that time, they weren't really, I mean, they were trying to obviously compete for, you know, trying to push in the league. We had the two top five finishes under Yo, but we didn't really feel as a club that 
at that point we could really challenge that that top four. Can you remember how big a feeling was that around the club that you know we could at some point really try and break into that top four monopoly under Yol? Yeah, I think it, as I said, as I mentioned before, it was a, especially then there was a definitive top four in English football with your Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, really, um, and it seemed for years and years that nobody would be able to break that up. To be honest, with the players they had, the players they were signing, and the size and stature of the clubs. Um, so yeah, I think sort of just to get get the monkey off our back beating Chelsea beating a top four team and even if subconsciously it gave us that extra confidence going into the so-called bigger games against the bigger teams uh, knowing that if you can beat a Mourinho Chelsea team from around that era then realistically you can probably beat anybody in the league we are going to go for a very quick break. And when we return, lots more from Sam Huddleston. We're talking about Lasagna Gate. We're discussing Martin Yole's exit at Tottenham, the arrival of one day Ramos, winning the League Cup, and of course, Champions League, Gareth Bell, all those times again, and what Tom is up to now, of course, with Derby. Do not go anywhere. We are going to be back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs here. We hope you're keeping well. Thank you for downloading us as always. Delighted to be joined by Jay from the Daily Hotspur and of course our very special guest this week, the brilliant, magnificent, as we know back in our time, English answer to Perlo, Tom Huddleston is on The Last Word on Spurs of us here and Jay's going to kick us off for the second half of the show. Jay, over to you. This was obviously a, a very disappointing moment for a lot of Spurs fans. It was, uh, funny enough for me, it was my first proper season watching Tottenham. Um, and it's pretty much carried on the same since in terms of uh, the disappointments. But at the end of the 2005-06 season, um, the night before we were due to play West Ham um, in a crucial match uh, to try and secure Champions League football for the first time, um, Arsenal were, of course, hosting Wigan. Um, and they were the team that were competing with us for that final Champions League spot. The night before, of course, Spurs players came down with an illness. Um, and then, of course, that game, we ended up losing to West Ham. And unfortunately, um, Arsenal ended up finishing above us. Although you weren't involved in that game, how much of the like the build-up around that game and, and kind of um, the, the night before, how much do you, how much do you know of, of, of that day? I was actually in the squad, but I wasn't on the bench. There was two of us to miss out. Um, so, yeah, I remember it was almost like a... The American sports style, we'd grafted and done everything possible for 37 games. And then it was like a play situation in the last game of the season. And West Ham were, a, a lot of my time at Tottenham, West Ham were always a fairly straightforward six or four points throughout the season. So we were very confident going into that game. Um, and... I remember on a personal level, I'd never at this moment in time taken a tablet in my life or had food poisoning. <laughs> and I woke up, at, I think it was quarter, like quarter to one. I remember looking at the TV in the hotel, quarter to one, throwing, like running to the bathroom, throwing up. 
and then literally five minutes later feeling fine again back into bed sleep and whatever again quarter to two literally on the hour throwing up and whatever else um and that went on until like quarter to six in the morning continuous um and then i got a phone call about half six off chrissy uton saying oh tom how do you feel a few of the lads have gone down with food poisoning uh blah 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 and i was like chrissy i didn't want to obviously ring and disturb people in the middle of the night but i've been horrific as well so it was a case of the walking wounded when we had to come down for breakfast and pretty much meal nobody was in a fit state to eat anything um which obviously you need for the energy for the match um the doctor was giving out tablets to try and plug people at both ends <laughs> um and give us electrolytes to try and keep us hydrated um and yeah going to the game you could see i don't know if i did the warm-up with the lads or not but you could see in the warm-up that nobody looked their self everybody looked a different shade of their natural color nobody had any energy or enthusiasm um and it, even saying that the game wasn't too bad it was a boiling hot day at the time as well which probably didn't help um but yeah especially with it being against West Ham, them stopping us finishing fourth was a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Tom, I have to ask you this. B- beforehand, was there an attempt to try and call the game off? Did, did Martin, was that the club's, was the club trying to do that? Can you remember at the time? Because like you said there, because it was the night before, didn't really have much time to act on it. Can you remember that morning, what it was like? Because I know trying to get an 11 out was, was the tough part. Carrick, I remember seeing Carrick play and he just did not look good at all he looked white and I know there was a, it was a yeah. I don't remember Tom there was like a toilet roll on the actual on the on the dugout seats at, at the park <laughs> I don't know if you can remember that but that was always and as it was really sad at the time I was devastated but that was one of the memories I can remember there's like a, a toilet roll like an Andrex toilet roll sitting there yeah. but I mean yeah, what, no, was there was, an attempt to try and call the game off from what I remember obviously it's a while ago my memory's not great but I think as a club we were trying to call it off initially until the day after if possible and then I don't think that was feasible so I think the club were trying to was it maybe a two o'clock kickoff? I think the club were trying to put it back till even if they could have put it back till five o'clock just to give everybody a chance to get more fluid in the system get a bit of food on board and and do it that way but obviously as you say last game of the season which is still the same now every match has to be um, kicked off at exactly the same time as each other so I don't think that was a realistic option either to be honest and Elvan just Tom just to kind of end this one you, you don't think there was anything kind of self-sabotage you know we heard that maybe the, the chef was an Arsenal fan who was the guy that, that was cooking the food was a gooner what do you think or do you think it was just one of those unfortunate things where it was just you know just a lasagna if it was one of them things it's the most coincidental thing ever I think <laughs> Um, really okay and when when they were going through what everybody had to eat it wasn't one thing that everybody had the same oh right okay so they were they were almost trying to put it down as somebody had a little bug that had just spread like wildfire but blimey um, obviously there was a, quite a few of the lads that had the lasagna which is why <laughs> it was classed as lasagna gate but of there was course, a yeah. there was a few that had 
the food poisoning that hadn't been anywhere near the lasagna. So, yeah, it was a strange one, to be fair. Oh, it was all for the time, all for the time. In October 2007, there was a very strange game when it actually proved to be Martin Yole's last game for the club. Uh, it was a defeat to Getafe in the UEFA Cup. Um, and now there was kind of reports that Martin Yole was sacked at, at half-time. Um, how much of that game do you remember and kind of, was there, was, it, was there a feeling that that kind of affected the result, knowing that um, Martin had been sacked at, at half point? Weird thing I remember about that game, as you say, I'm guessing it had broke, probably not even so much social media back then, but maybe on the tellies and stuff, and coming out for the second half and the fans constantly singing Martin Yo's name, which obviously was a regular occurrence anyway, but this was a different type. Um and more continuous. So we, I don't recall anything happening in and around the change room at half time. Um, but coming out in that in, for the second half and hearing the fans, you knew something that wasn't quite right. Um, so yeah, probably did affect as 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 players. Um, but yeah, I think well, Getafe were a decent team back then as well, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think. It was a, a bit surreal of a situation, that, to be honest, playing that second half. Hours after that game come to an end, Tom Spurs in a statement confirmed that Martin had been sacked along with the first team coaching staff, which included Chrissy Hewton, and that ended a reign of nearly three years with them at the helm. In came one day Ramos. Talk us through what that was like at the time for you, Tom, because in came this manager that had been very successful in Seville, but he didn't speak, as we understand, a, a real word of English, and it was Gus Poyet left to do a lot of the translating. How is that as a player, where you've got a manager there that doesn't really speak the language, and he's trying to put a message over then to Gus, who's then trying to translate it to the players? Is there any fluidity amongst training? Give us an insight as to what that was like at the time in that dressing room. The language barrier, you lose a little bit straight away. Um, just the fact it's got to be, the message has got to be passed through another person. Um, if the player then has questions about what's being asked of him, again, it gets relayed for another person and it adds additional time on. And for myself at the time, I'd had George Burley for two years at Derby, signed for Tottenham and had Martin Yole for a couple of years. So it was the first time in sort of real football that a manager had been sacked and someone else had come in. So... It was a bit bit of a strange scenario. Um, uh, yeah, I think, obviously, Gus, knowing the club more so, speaking the language, what one day spoke, um, was a good idea initially. Um, and I do think Ramos's tactics and a lot of his ideas were actually uh, quite good. But I just think the language barrier... Um, and maybe some of the some of the things he was doing around the training ground weren't ideal or what people were used to. Ramos obviously came in and he had a lot of it. He brought a lot of experience. Um, he'd obviously been very successful at a lot of other clubs, uh, including he'd won back-to-back UEFA Cups with Seville. How did you? How did the players kind of react to a, a manager who had had that sort of success and that sort of experience? How did you react as a player to to a manager like that coming into the club? I think initially it was excitement. Uh, we knew we had a relatively good squad. We just weren't quite performing. Um, 
for whatever reasons under Martin. Um, so yeah, I remember myself uh, when one day come in, literally at that time, I used to watch any and every game of football going. So I'd seen a lot of this Seville team um, and was sort of watching Seville games back and seeing what systems and what type of person Ellie played. I'm thinking I might might be with a good shot of playing regular under him, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, I think initial was excitement. You can't... Someone coming in like that, you, you couldn't question his credentials. Um, as I say, it's just... Some of the best managers I've worked under, it's their initial speech to the group, which gets everybody on side. And if that's got to be put through a translator, I think... It's a little bit of an uphill battle from there. So I've got to ask you two questions now because you've mentioned about the speech. I'm so sorry. Can, can you tell us then what was said in that speech to begin with? Because like I said it was translated by, by Gus. What was, can you remember what the message was at the time or what was translated at the time to you guys? I don't actually remember, to be honest, which <laughs> might say a lot. Um, <laughs> but no, I think um, I think he was saying he's, he's watched a lot of games and he, he knows we're a good team. We just need tweaking and tinkering a little bit. Um, okay. But yeah, that was as as I say. Once it's it's got to go through a third party, it loses its um, hump that it's it's designed for. Yeah, it's funny, Tom. You mentioned a minute ago that a lot of things changed, and one of those things changed that I think you might agree with here was the diet went out the window, and we heard certain things like jammy dodgers and jelly babies weren't weren't anymore being stocked at the at the at the yeah. training ground. I mean, how did you cope as a player then? So that change of diet. I mean, there was no ketchup as well from when speaking to other players. What, what was that like for you as a player? Because I think during that period, Tom, I'm right in saying, didn't you? There was a, there was a lot of players went for a massive transformation. Um, how did you cope with the diet change? I said in an interview ages ago about, well, around about the time actually, about the ketchup, which has seemed to have stuck with my name <laughs> a lot. Um, but yeah, I think he come in, he had his own ideas. Um, some of them, especially nowadays, speaking to nutritionists and stuff like that, some of it was good, some of it was bad, but I think it was just a sort of cold turkey approach. It was no butter, no sauces for your pasta, no obviously ketchup, no I can't remember, maybe like no beans and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of dry food. Um, the Jaffa cakes and jelly beans were <laughs> sort of in and around the physio rooms on match days as a little Treat. glucose boost. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it, it was probably the right thing. And if it had been done maybe over six to eight weeks or something, something gradual, I think the lads might have been a bit more receptive to it. But it got to the point where I know some of the lads would, on away games, they'll be taking their own sort of, not packed lunch, but like their own little treats with them because they knew what was going to be served wouldn't be either sufficient or what they'd been used to for the last sort of 10 or 12 years of their career. Um, but yeah, I think he came in and it was, from what I remember, he want, this might be wrong, but if, from what I remember was, as a squad, I think he wanted us maybe 100 kilograms lighter. And it was a case of, I think Bale and Lennon were 
at the OK weight, Janice needed to put weight on and literally everybody else, he wanted to lose an amount of weight for whatever reason. Ramos' first season at the club, uh, we, we won the Carling Cup. We, of course, to get there, we beat Arsenal 5-1 in the semi-final, a very memorable uh, evening at White Hart Lane. Um, and then, of course, we beat Chelsea 2-1 in the final. Who do you think the players were in that squad that kind of inspired us to victory in those two games? I actually seen a few of the goals from the Arsenal game the other day. Um, obviously, Kino played unbelievable. JJ played well. Uh, Steve Melbronk played well. Uh, I think it was Steve anyway. It was Steve. As, um, it, as it was brilliant as well yeah. on that day. As it was great. Yeah. He always, against Arsenal and Man United, every every game as I played well, it seemed to be fair to him. Um, and then the Chelsea game, um, it was a case of, as I say, it was a, a big, big manly Chelsea team. Um, but we knew, as I say, on that day that we could beat them. Um, the way Ramos had at that stage of the season I think after Christmas his his full focus was on whatever happens in the league happens in the league we're not we're not going to get relegated but if we can I don't know finish 10th or 12th but win a cup it'll be better than maybe finishing 7th and not winning a cup so it seemed a lot of the focus was on the calling cup final um, and yeah, thankfully, it was a lot of the a lot of the lads' first trophies. To be fair, um, so it was it was a big a big achievement at the time, and one that everybody cherished a lot. And for a lot of Spurs fans, Tom, those that is still the the only trophy they've seen Spurs win. That is, I mean, that is indicative to how how long we've obviously gone without a trophy, but how big that was for Spurs fans at the time that you were part of that last group to win a trophy as a, as a Spurs player. I mean, tell us, what do you remember in the dressing room at the time where, obviously, you've gone at half-time, Drogba's put Chelsea in head, which was a great free kick. Was there confidence always that you could turn the game around? You mentioned about Ramos. How did he set up the team? Was there, like I say, was there a belief in that dressing room that, you know, with Berbatov in the team, Keane, yourself, uh, Lennon, uh, was there always optimism that you could turn this game on its head? 100%, I think, especially going forward, we always, Keane, Berbatov, Lennon. Um, you all, I watched one of uh, Berber's soccer box things with Gary Neville and it. He was speaking, saying at that time he always felt, even if we're 2-0 down, we'd always create enough chances to get back into it. Albeit we might, we might concede another couple, but um, we'd always create enough chances. And with Keane or Berbatov in front of goal, uh, you'd fancy them to to do something special. So, yeah, being 1-0 down was, uh, obviously it's not ideal against a, a good Chelsea team, but um, what Ramos used to do quite a lot, and it probably got me a few more games actually, he used to take off a defender, slide sort of Didier Zakora, not quite in the back four, but just in front of them. So it's like a, a three at the back with him just in front and then bring on an additional midfielder. Um, and I think he might have done that again. I don't know if I came on for Chimbonda and Didier sort of went, not traditional right back, but sort of on that side slightly, um, which just gave us an extra body 
in the middle of the park to try and have more possession higher up the pitch. I think you're right, Tom. I think they hooked Zakora after he missed that horrendous one-on-one, if you remember. He, he absolutely sc- <laughs> he yeah. absolutely skied it. He, he had to come off after that, Tom, so you were definitely getting on. Yeah. <laughs> no, you wouldn't fancy him in front of the goal. <laughs> no, you definitely wouldn't. The following season, Spurs, they had an unbeaten pre-season. Um, but then the, the first eight games, Spurs were bottom of the league. They'd made their worst start since 1912. And then, of course, Ramos ended up getting sacked. Why do you feel it didn't quite work out for Ramos at White Hart Lane? And, and did you feel as kind of a player, a player in the dressing room, did you feel as though um, he kind of lost the players? I don't fully remember, but I reckon, I, I remember that pre-season and it was not so much myself, but so many older players. Um, we went to Valencia, I think, for two weeks. And it was a case of up at half six, seven o'clock reception run on the concrete um, down to the golf course do some running there come back have breakfast at nine uh, in the gym at 11 and then football at three o'clock so it was quite hectic obviously pre-seasons are meant to be tough anyway but I think the maybe one or two miles on the concrete I think Alan Utton he might have got a stress fracture actually on the back of that, which obviously oh, weren't yeah. ideal. God. Um, was that the summer we sold Berber and Keane at the same time as well? I think you're right, yeah. We had Fraser Campbell come in, if you remember. It was just yeah, it think, was the most horrendous yeah. summer, Tom. What, what was going through your mind yeah, then when they let go of players? Like, what was going through your mind then, Tom? When you see players like that go out and not really adequately replaced, what were you thinking? For me... Keane and Berbatov for two or three years or whatever, two years together were unplayable at times. Um, I think, obviously, clubs need to cash in at the right time or whatever you'd class it as. But to lose both of your talisman within the same window and, as you say, without being too disrespectful to the lads, um, Fraser came in and did quite well, but he was relatively unknown and untried at that level. Um, I think we had and Pavlichenko were the other two. Uh, so it was it was a big ask um, to lose both of them. Maybe recouping fifty million but not not splashing off of it out to get one main striker was probably the the downfall of uh, Ramos in that early part of the season, I'd say. On October 26, 2008, Spurs appointed Harry Redknapp as Ramos's replacement. His his arrival saw Spurs reach a second consecutive cup final, and then we even managed to salvage an eighth place finish in the league. How much of a lift did uh, his arrival give the squad in that first season? I think the first thing he did, he brought a few of the players back almost from the dead. Um, myself, Jamie O'Hara, David Bentley. There was probably five or six in his first few games that, because he kept Clive Allen, um, Clive knew that we were good lads that trained hard, uh, just wasn't fancied by Ramos for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I think Harry just got people on side, brought in five or six that hadn't been playing, knowing that you're going to get 100% off them uh, naturally. And then it gives him a chance to get the character of the other lads. Um, and then eventually, 
work out his strongest team in his mind, to be honest. Now, on Harry, to be honest with you, Tom, he did make an immediate impact. And one of his very first few games, obviously, we beat Bolton. That was obviously a critical win when he first came in. I think it was on the Sunday. Then a couple of days later, yeah. we had to play Arsenal. And it saw us battle back from 3-1 and 4-2 down to somehow draw it 4-4. I mean, how did the players manage to find those two goals in the final minutes of that game, Tom? Can you remember what that game was like? It must have been chaotic and crazy to be a part in. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. I think I always remember uh, David Bentley's goal thinking, literally until it went in the net, thinking, why have you just wasted possession that easily? You should just bring it down and keep it. Um, which I'm sure there was a few Tottenham fans thought the same. Um, but yeah, to be 4-2 down, I think it was going into probably the 90th minute Um but JJ with the running capacity he's got and the technical ability as well, for him to bend that one in the top corner and then it was a case of you never know, you might just try and get possession of the ball once and obviously Arsenal will be a bit jittery. Um, and thankfully, they, who had the shot? I don't know if it was Bentley or Luca. And then Aaron followed it in and had a nice controlled finish afterwards, which even though it's a, only a point at the end of the day, I think just the manner of the point, new manager, couple of, a few days into a job, that's why the sort of celebrations were as they were after the match. Now, of course, in that, in that following season, Spurs qualified for the uh, UEFA Champions League for the first time since it was rebranded uh, by finishing fourth. Having come so close on on many occasions, what do you think made the difference in that season with Spurs finally getting that Champions League spot? I think it was a combination of a lot. I think, for a personal point of view, sort of not becoming more senior, but maybe feeling... um, I think the younger players were coming of age a little bit. Um, We signed... Uh, Basson, who did well, especially that first season, um, sort of him, Ledley and Dorse as the three centre-halves, along with Eunice, who played right-back quite a bit. I just think Harry, a lot of Harry's signings, um, obviously Crouchy, Harry had worked with him a lot of times, is, is well publicised. Um, but he knows exactly what he's going to get from his signings, really. Um which is a lot of managers will tell you they're only as good as their recruitment. But I think even down the right-hand side, we had in the, a lot of the bigger, against the bigger teams, Harry would play Kabul as a right-back. Um, and then when we had a lot of possession, he would play Luca literally, who was very good and comfortable on the ball, give the ball to Lennon and let him do what he does best, which is attacking players 1v1. Obviously, Luca didn't have to give it him and run around him overlapping all the time. He could just back him up and be an option behind. So I think it was a combination of a lot of things, to be honest. And uh, I think we've, we fully deserved it that year, to be fair, um, and did ourselves proud. 
It's funny, Tom, you mentioned about Harry's recruitment. I mean, he had a habit of bringing old players back to the club. We had the likes of, obviously, Kino coming back. We had Chimbonda. We had Kabul. Um, you think Defoe and, obviously, Crenshaw. He brought the boys back, didn't he, really? He was kind of, Harry, with all the old players he worked with, he kind of brought them all back together. And you mentioned Crouchy there. Crouchy obviously scored the goal away at Man City, which secured that final spot in the Champions League. How memorable, Tom, was that an evening for you personally? And I have to ask you this, Tom. How did Harry react when Bentley, rea- <laughs> Bentley threw the drinks container over him? How did Harry react to the players after he came off that interview with Sky? Tell us what that was like. Um, afterwards, Harry seemed, obviously, was buzzing that we'd finished fourth. Um, City were just starting, well, that year and a couple of years before, probably to splash the cash a little bit. So, on paper, they probably should have been the team to finish in the top four, but we had a good togetherness. Um, and we, as I say, I think we deserved it throughout the season. Um, Harry did seem okay afterwards, um, but then I don't think Bent's ever pulled on a Tottenham shirt again after that. So <laughs> he might not have, might not have been all right. But um, yeah, I think obviously it was all all fun and games, and I don't think no. Malice was meant by Ben, whoever the manager was at the time. Um, I think he, the type of character he is, he would have done exactly the same. Um, even if it had been, I don't know, the chairman doing the interview or something like that, he would have, everyone was that excited. I think Ben would have done the same to whoever it may have been. Did that game, Tom, feel like a cup final on the night? Because it just appeared that whoever would get that win they genuinely would get, obviously, that spot. And at the time, I mean, City, it was just the very start of money being pumped into there, obviously, under, I think, Roberto Mancini. How big did that game feel like beforehand? And what was Harry's team talk before that match? Yeah, it did feel like a massive game. We knew, I think we beat, we beat Bolton at the weekend, which left it in our hands going into the last two games of the season, maybe. Um, but we knew if we beat City, then we'd finished in the top four, which, as you say, after couple of fifth finishers with Martin Yole, which was decent enough, but not quite what we wanted as a group and as a club. Um, for it to be in our own hands, um, and at that time, we always, uh, however the season was going, we always seemed to have a decent performance and record up at the Etihad, to be honest. So we, we were full of confidence. We knew they had outstanding individual players, but we felt probably more as a as a group uh, than what they were putting across, even though they had world-class players on paper, uh, which individually were probably better. But as a group, we felt that we could match them easily. So, of course, from that Champions League qualification, Spurs on the 2nd of September 2011 were able to complete the signing of Raphael van der Vaart from Real Madrid. Um, what kind of an impact as a player of that sort of experience and, and having had so much success during his career... How does the dressing room react to a player like that coming into the club? I think everybody was buzzing. And as I say, especially myself, as a watch any type of football going, for someone of that stature to come in, he he was probably close to 100 caps for Ireland at the time. Um, I think I actually made my Derby pre-season debut against him when he was at Ajax in maybe 03. Um, so yeah, knowing his qualities, um, it was just pure excitement and 
that's one of the things behind the scenes that sort of finishing in the top four can do for a club. If we'd finished fifth, players of that calibre from Real Madrid probably wouldn't have been too interested in coming to Tottenham um, in all respects. Um, so it was one on the back of our hard work and graft throughout that season, but equally we felt that he could take us up to an even higher level, to be honest. Now, Tom, Spurs found themselves, in typical Spurs fashion, um, that, that first Champions League, well, the, the qualifier as it stands, it was, we were 3-0 down after 28 minutes against young boys in the first leg. Eventually, we battled back to make it 3-2 on that night. How much of an impact, Tom, do you reckon it did have on the players playing on that artificial pitch? Well, um, again, from a personal point of view, it was... I'd had a couple of issues the back end of the season with my ankle before. I think I missed three weeks. Um, so, leading into this game, obviously, the AstroTurf wasn't ideal. Um, and Harry said, I want, obviously want to play here, but because of the AstroTurf, the physios are recommending like you sit this one out. So, I'm on the bench thinking... I've just played 30, 35 of the 38 league games a year, uh, the year before and I've sat on the bench and after, as you say, 25 minutes or whatever, we're 3-0 down and it's with, I'm thinking we've just slogged out 9-10 months, 38 games <laughs> to finish four and then we're sort of pissing it up the wall, so to speak, in the case of in, the, like, in half an hour, like what is going on? Um, and luckily for me Harry brought me on I, f- I can't remember who for um, and everyone was just a bit he was just like literally go on there calm everybody down get possession of the ball and sort of play us back into this game a little bit and thankfully we once we got the two goals and lost 3-2 I was confident and I think as a squad, we were very confident that getting getting them back to the lane, regardless of the uh, two away goals, getting them back to the lane, um, an evening under the lights, Champions League game, we knew if we started fast that they wouldn't be able to live with us, which thankfully turned out to be the case. And it, it wasn't a waste of 38 games a year before. Yeah, you, of course, you mentioned in that second leg game, we won 4-0. And, and you said about the lane. I mean, I wonder what your memories are of playing during those Champions League nights at White Hart Lane. How special was the atmosphere during those those games? Yeah, it always been special, even the Europa League games. Um, as you said earlier, with the club not having European football for a number of years um, and probably being used to it, a lot of the regular supporters uh, through years gone by... Um, and because it's something that everybody had wanted for so long as a club, as a fan base, as players, to finally get in the Champions League, um, it was, yeah, it's just a dream come true. And I've always, I think they're just special occasions and nights. The, the pitch is soaking wet, the ball seems to roll a little bit better, the atmosphere is raised 10-15%. Um, and it's what you sort of dream of as a player they're the nights that you remember when when you're towards the end of your career and they're the ones 
before you even start your career that you're almost fantasising about. Now, Tom, after that game, obviously we had the, we had the 2-2 draw at Word of Bremen, and then we had the 4-1 win over FC20. Spurs arrived at the San Siro, level one points with the defending European champions into Milan. That evening, you captained Spurs. We got off to a horrendous start. Horrendous. I mean, we talk about young boys being bad. This was even worse. You know, we went 4-0 down. <laughs> Gomez yeah. sent off. And in the second half, Gareth Bale, he announced himself on the world stage by scoring an amazing hat-trick. What was said in that dressing room by Harry at half-time to inspire that performance from the players in the second half? And with Bale especially, how did the squad react to, to that performance and just that, that crazy night? Oh, well, I've got a funny story about that half-time, but I'll come back to that. Um, OK. Please was, remember, Tom. Think, remember that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might get me in trouble, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> I think what was, as you say, it was an horrendous start. Um, Gomez getting sent off. And before we knew it, we're playing the <laughs> reigning European champions away from home. Uh, we're 4-0 down. Obviously, you can imagine Harry <laughs> at half-time. And it was a case... Obviously, a lot of people say, oh, just you can get back into it. But we all felt like if we could just stick 10 players on the goal line to stop this being double digits, then we might have to do something like that. Um, but yeah, as you say, we, we come out, we, it was a case of shutting up shop a little bit. Um, but as you say, when you had, everybody knew Gareth had ability, um, but for him to do it, I think they had Zanetti and Mike on down the right-hand side. So for him to do it against two of the best players in the world at the time and Julio Cesar in goal, who was probably the top two or three goalkeepers as well, um, for him to score an hat-trick with three virtually identical goals, first and foremost, it made... I don't think we ever really had a chance after that to nick a draw, but it made the result a lot more respectable, the performance more respectable. Um, and as you say it just opened everybody's eyes on the world stage to Gareth Bale I think he had the number 3 on at the time but I think after that performance he needed to get into that number 11 as soon as possible Do you want to tell us a story Tom is that going to come later? As I said before I was a big football fan so that Inter team I think Mourinho was there the year before when they won the treble That's right yeah Um, so captain in the team which was a proud moment in the San Siro but uh, I don't know if you've been but their tunnel is about virtually the length of the pitch near enough you go in at one end and or half of the pitch sorry and you have to walk sort of down to the byline so we're walking down and Macon goes on like about swapping shirts and I, I was a keen collector of swapping shirts anyway um, but obviously not normally at half time and especially being 4-0 down. So I, I didn't want to say no, so I swapped the shirt and had to literally hide it in my shorts, sort of throw it underneath my trainers when I got into the changing room because I think being 4-0 down, if Harry had seen that, he oh might my have God. fully blown his lid. What, what was Harry like, Tom? Just got to ask that question. That, that game and the young boys as well, bring them two into context. Did, was Harry one to lose his temper? You know, at half time when you, you know to go, we was nearly out. Obviously, of course, in the, in the young boys' tie the first leg, but the the Milan game. What was Harry like in the dressing room for those two at the time with those real big games to try and overcome the deficits? I think initially he's obviously effing and blinding, but 
it's more a case of not wanting to be embarrassed in the Inter Milan game. Um, I think the young boys, it's one of them where we've just start, we've started very slow, but we knew if we pulled our finger out, we could get back into it. Whereas the Inter game was a case of we've started horrifically, and if we don't pull our finger out, this could be dub- double digits and Champions League nights are obviously world famous. So he would have been thinking, everybody's watching this. If we get done seven or eight, it's going to be really embarrassing. So we need to liven up. Now, of course, in that second meeting between the two sides, um, back at White Hart Lane, it was an even more special uh, evening. Um, Spurs, of course, won 3-1. You again captain the team. Um, and Bale once again produced a magnificent performance. Um, how how amazing was that evening to be a part of? And again, another special performance from Bale. Yeah, that was re- really special, especially to get the win. I know, obviously, Inter's a massive team, but I don't... I don't think they would have felt an atmosphere too similar to that. Um, especially coming to in there, they might have been coming to an English stadium for one of the first times. Um, not like a massive ground like Old Trafford or anything like that, but the intensity, especially for the night games, um, it almost feels like there is 70,000, 80,000 in there. Um, but yeah, we knew, especially home games, if we start fast, try and put teams on the back foot, then they're in for a long, tough evening. And that was probably one of our best performances in my eight years at Tottenham, to be honest. Now, of course, Tom, we went all the way to the quarterfinals. It was a, a really, really amazing journey. It really was. And, you know, we had some really incredible players along the time with you. We had the likes of Modric, the Van der Vaarts and the Bales. Um, who would you say, Tom, was the best player that you played with? during that season if I asked you just to pick one I know it's difficult just to pick one in that season alone yes that season alone who would you say at the time um, I did have a I did miss a large part of that season with injury to be honest um, after the two inter games Um, but I would say I'd probably just have to say Bale for the way Mm. he sort of announced himself and then for Tottenham I don't remember him having a bad game after that Inter one, really, for the next three years or whatever it was. Now, in the following year, the 2011-12 season, you made just four appearances for Spurs. Um, I know you underwent surgery. Um, and kind of as a, on a personal level, I can kind of relate to that, how frustrating uh, injuries are for a competitive athlete. Um, what kind of like mental impact does that have on a player, being missing that many games in a season? It was actually ankle surgery to be fair but as I say I think after the two inter games I had the surgery which was my sort of first proper like what you class as a proper injury I guess um, and then I came back towards the back end of that season um, I think I played in the second leg against Real Madrid but it was almost already over after the first leg um, but the ankle didn't feel right currently five or six weeks off in the summer come back for pre-season and still didn't feel great um, but I think I started the season against Hearts the two games against Hearts um, and maybe a couple more and then had to have it re-operated on uh, which was the first surgery was okay because it was like it's going to be four or five months after that 
you'll be fine. I'd had one surgery before on my knee and that was literally, I was back running after 10 days and touch wood, I've never had an issue with that since. So in my head, I was hoping and expecting the same with the ankle, um, which wasn't to be. Ended up having three surgeries in the space of about 15 months, uh, which was very disappointing and frustrating, um, especially when <laughs> at the start of the first injury, I decided to grow my hair till I was back fit and scored. So that turned in from a four-month injury into about 18 months on and off with a couple of games dashed in between. So, yeah, it was mentally really, really tough, especially we just were starting to achieve something as a club, it felt like. Finish for quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, as a club, we was in a, a very good place. Um, so, yeah, it was really frustrating. And I think mentally that's a side of it that a lot of, um, football supporters unless they know players individually or personally I don't think they realise or understand that side of it um, it's really dark times especially when you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel uh, which for me personally it was getting a little bit to that stage um, especially after the the third operation it was uh, slightly depressing Um but as I say, after the the third one, it did feel, even though not 100%, which it wouldn't be after three ops, but it did feel well enough to start playing again. Now, Tom, all this in between really for you is quite tricky because, I mean, you mentioned about Harry, that you was a regular feature in that team. Obviously, Harry lost his job at the end of that season. We, we then had Andre Villas-Boas come in. And I think it's fair to say, Tom, that you wasn't really given a fair opportunity to, to really prove yourself. I mean, can you describe, because we've heard again with, with Villas Boas, you know, from Chelsea players, you know, that sometimes the way he dealt with the man management of players wasn't that great. Can you describe what it was like for you? And did you feel like you were being maybe pushed out by him? I did a little bit. And that was another tricky part. So I'd missed a lot of the season before or most of the season before. And by the time I was fit, we'd had a new manager. I'd gone from the manager that had played me more often than not uh, to a brand new manager. Um, but that was, obviously, that was fine. That's football. Um, come back, I was fully fit by the start of pre-season. Um, gave it my all. Did did well enough, I thought. Um, and I always remember a story <laughs> which... He, he wanted a couple of us to play for the under-23s, uh, the first game of the season. So the lads were playing Newcastle away and he wanted a couple of us to play with the 23s, which, as I mentioned earlier, it's not like reserve team football. And I wouldn't necessarily, unless I'd been injured for a long time, even, I'd just trained for six weeks and played the pre-season game, so that wasn't an issue. Um, but he wanted us to travel up to Newcastle the night before with the under-23s, which really is almost an under-19s, because if you're 22, 23, you're usually with a first team or have been sold or gone on loan. So it's almost an under-19 squad. Um, 
travel up with them seven hours on the Friday, play the game in the morning, go across to St. James's Park, watch the first team game, and then travel back with them, which all seemed a bit strange. And I said, if you don't think either I'm good enough or I'm not fit enough at the minute to be in the squad, I'd rather stay at the training ground, do a session with one of the fitness coaches that stay there. I think I nearly went on loan to Stoke as well that summer. Um, which at the time he was his initial comments to me were, I know you've missed a year, get six months under your belt, playing regular, come back in January, and then I want you in my team because you're the type of player I want and like kind of thing. The loan move fell through for whatever reasons. Um, and yeah, just I think I ended up making 28 appearances that season, but maybe half of them were starts and we had quite a lot of European games and stuff like that. So it wasn't a high percentage of the games. And I just, I just felt like there was definitely five or six games that I couldn't have done too much more performance-wise. But then the following game, I'd find myself out of the team. So it felt like I was fighting a battle that I was never going to win. Um, and it did get to the stage at the end of that season where I felt like I needed to, what was I, 26, 27? I felt like I needed to move on and showcase what I could do and be playing as regular as possible in the Premier League. Was it fair to say at time, Tom, as well, that maybe you were coming a bit disillusioned by the club in terms of their, their changing of policy when it comes to buying players? We saw a lot of players over that period of AVB where they left the club. I'm trying to think of a lot of youngsters. I mean, like Jake Livermore, uh, he departed. I think Jamie O'Hara went. Like a lot of the maybe the English players around, there was almost like a change in the guard at Spurs. Did you feel that as well as a player at that time when you were obviously departing? Yeah, a little bit. I think I'd mentioned that not long after I left. Um, a lot of the signings were different to what we've been used to um, and again I think I do like AVB don't get me wrong as a person um, but I think as, even his, his tactical ideas I've, I've wrote a, a, quite a few of his sessions down so they were they were fine as well mm. um, I just think the man management style um, but then he was he was still a relatively young man at the time as well which people forget Um but yeah, I think the man management style uh, wasn't ideal. Um, you'd rather just a manager be honest and upfront and just say, oh, I prefer him because he does this, this and this. Obviously, you're better at X, Y and Z, but he's the type of player I prefer. Um, I think players would respect managers more if they were just honest and upfront. And even if you don't agree with it, you've got to respect it because it's somebody's opinion. So, as we mentioned, you obviously left the club after spending eight years there. Uh, you left in the summer of 2013 to join Hull City. Overall, how happy are you with what you achieved during your time at Spurs? Um, relatively happy. I think the injuries come at completely the wrong time. Um, I felt like for 18 months under Harry, um, I just... As I mentioned before, I just felt like I'd established myself as one of the first names on the team sheet, um, playing virtually every game when we finished four for the first time, playing every game in the Champions League um, 
first season with that, uh, captaining the team on quite a few occasions. And then to get the 18-month on and off layoff at that point was, looking back, I think that was like a bit of a killer blow, really, for me personally. Um, I think if that hadn't had come, I could have stayed in the team for another God knows how many years. I was probably only 23, 24 at the time, so still had my best years ahead of me. So I could have easily stayed in the team for a a lot more years after that. Um, So yeah, I think bits more could have been achieved. Um, Just a few, obviously I don't really live with regrets, but there's a few frustrating factors, probably none more so than the injury and the timing of it. Um, And equally, uh, we played, when I was at Hull, we played Tottenham not long after AVB had been sacked and Tim Sherwood was in charge. Um, And he was sort of saying how he wished that me and Jake had just hung on for a little bit longer because if he was in charge, me and him would have been playing more often than not as well for Tottenham. Um, but obviously we'd both moved to Hull at this time so yeah there's there's a couple of frustrating factors and equally I would have been interested with well I'd say not my generation of Tottenham players but that sort of five or six year window if we had had a Pochettino with a young squad that we had it would have been nice or interesting to see where we could have got to collectively and individually if we'd had the Pochettino in charge of us to be fair it's funny you bring that guy up uh, Tom you know that's how because we uh, see on the show we, we did the we do the shows every week and there's still definitely a, a close connection to Maurizio but what I will say Tom for your period at Spurs that for me you're still definitely I think for me and Jay you're, you're one of our favourite players growing up and I think I hope you know, Tom. I mean, you must know how much Spurs fans still idolise you and adore you, right? I mean, do you get that even now? The Spurs fans, thank you for your time at the club because I definitely think, you know, your period, you know, we, we, you're still part of a team that won the last trophy at Spurs. But also, there were some great games during the period that you were with the club, Tom. You must feel that love from Spurs fans still, right? Yeah, I do a lot of the time, to be fair. I think it's easier for people to get their opinions across now with the social media platforms. Um, so, yeah, I do feel a lot of the appreciation of the Spurs fans obviously there's a few not so much but I think that's with every player I think obviously Messi and Ronaldo have got their fans and the ones that aren't too keen on them so every player is going to get that and yeah I think my my time down there we we achieved a lot we was heading in the right direction and as you say watching especially with this quarantine at the minute watching Premier League classics we've got We've got the West Ham 4-3, 4-4 with Villa, 4-4 with Arsenal. We've got a lot of classics and a lot of good memories from our time at Tottenham. You're, of course, at Derby County now. Um, and obviously, it's a very difficult time for everyone. We're all stuck in quarantine at the moment. As a player, kind of how, how are you preparing for the season to start again? And what's it like having that uncertainty of, of when it will start up again? Yeah, it's a strange, strange situation for everybody. Um so with ourselves initially, um, the club gave us a, a two-week sort of programme, which was running maybe three or four times a week. But with the 
uh, lockdown being extended, um, we've had sort of two weeks of nothing compulsory, like running-wise. Um, but there has been a group of us using the app on the iPad um, on our exercise bikes indoors, um, FaceTiming each other. But there's quite quite a few different. Not everybody from Derby. Uh, this is just friends within football, to be fair. So I think the other day there was like 12 of us, all from, a few from Derby and then a few random clubs. Um, so yeah, we've, we've tried to do that at sort of 10 or 11 most mornings. Um, and then on a personal level, I've been, uh, two of my friends from my time in London that I'm still close to, they come up to every home game. Uh, one of them's a personal trainer. So um, we've been getting on FaceTime and he's been putting us through a, a weights program as well. Most afternoons about four o'clock and with the weather you can just get a couple of dumbbells and go in the garden. And I think mentally having that little bit of a routine, sort of ten o'clock and four o'clock, um, I think it's just a little bit easier to be honest. I think once people lose a routine and if you lay in bed till one o'clock in the afternoon and you've got nothing to do for the rest of the day it just it can become mentally a tough cycle so um for me personally doing the bike sessions with the boys um and then doing a few weights with my friends um that has helped me i think mentally and just staying in a bit of a routine even though the last two or three days it seemed to be dragging a little bit yeah, I think you're right. About this moment, it's definitely dragging. But I think as a player for you, you've got you got it's difficult. You've got to keep your focus in case that season does come back on. And talking about the season, Tom, just to finish up and wrap up, just want to ask you. Well, me and my Jay just want to ask you a couple of quick questions. So, Spurs at the moment. I mean, we're now under different management again. We saw, as you mentioned, Pochettino, Jose Mourinho come in. But I want to ask you about Harry Kane. Harry was still obviously at the club when you were there. And um, how do you look at Harry now as a player that obviously? At the time when he was he was at the club, he was fairly young. Now, since you departed, he's now got on Kane to really become, you know, a real superstar in a Spurs shirt. How important do you think it is for Tottenham to keep hold of Harry Kane for the club's long-term ambitions? I think it's vital for the club to keep hold of him. He's as out and out sort of number nine. I know he can do more than that, but as like a number nine, there's not many players in the world that can do what he does um, and if you let him go you're probably going to have to spend every last penny to get somebody who's not quite as good as him anyway so he's, he loves the club um, he's a leader on and off the pitch um, the fans love him the players love him um, so yeah I think it's vital obviously when I was growing up it was a case of finding yourself a 20 goal a season player but you see nowadays and like with Harry you're sort of talking about a 30-40 goal a season uh, player and there's not too many of them about if you take Messi and Ronaldo out of the out of the question um, then Harry's in that sort of next bracket of maybe five or six goal scorers underneath that um, so they are hard to come by um, and if for whatever reason Tottenham weren't to make the top four this season, then similar with ourselves and Van der Vaart a few years ago, it'd be difficult to 
attract them top top, um, especially goal scorers, because they're in high demand as it is. Tom, you obviously mentioned about wanting the chance to play under Pochettino, um, and then of course Spurs, of course, sacked Pochettino um, and brought in Mourinho. Do you feel that Spurs kind of made the right decision in in doing that? At the time, I was thinking this is a a big no-no when they were linked with Mourinho. I was thinking there's no way that Daniel will sort of join join forces with Mourinho. Um, but then the more I heard Mourinho speak in his first few interviews, um, I was thinking, no, actually, he seems to have mellowed as a manager. Um, obviously, he's still got that hunger and drive and tactical nerves that he's always had. Um, but a lot of the stuff towards the end at Man United, he seemed to have gotten away from that with his first few interviews at Tottenham. So I think it could be a good fit and this quarantine could be a nice sort of tonic for him just to sit back, reevaluate his squad, um, work on certain tactics, even if it's him and his coaching staff and then they'll probably have three or four weeks to implement that with the players before the season hopefully gets back up and running again. Well, Tom, by all accounts, what we understand he's actually living at the training ground and he's actually staying away from his family. So, if, I mean, you can't fault the desire of the man. He, he's trying everything <laughs> in his power to, to make it work to, and it, it's crazy, isn't it? To be fair, my last season at Tottenham was at the new training ground. and Oh, blimey, God. Ev- everybody would happily live there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> everything you can imagine. So, I don't blame him at the minute. Oh, Tom, listen, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Honestly, it's been fantastic. Thank you ever so much for joining us, Tom. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. No problem, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. No problem at all. Jay, do you want to say a few words to Tom? Yeah, of course. I mean, that was a fantastic show. I mean, really great to listen back to Tom's memories of the time at the club. Um, As you said, Ricky, I mean, lots of Spurs fans, of course, myself, um, will look back at Tom's time very fondly. Um, Of course, winning a trophy. So I'm very grateful for that. And of course, those memories in the Champions League. So, yeah, really enjoyed that show this, this evening.
Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.